the History Channel original podcast. History This Week, April 8th, 1974. I'm Sally Helm. It's a damp evening in Atlanta. Not great weather for baseball. But nevertheless, almost 54,000 people have come out to watch the home team, the Atlanta Braves, play the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's a sellout crowd, and it's likely to be a good game. The Dodgers will make the World Series later this year. But the fans are really there because of a single player. Henry Aaron, or as the fans call him, Hank. Baseball is a numbers game, so let's do some numbers. This was Aaron's 24th season playing for the Braves. He's played 2,966 games. He's been up to bat more than 11,000 times. And at the start of this particular game, he has 714 home runs. 714 is a very important number. At this moment, on April 8th, 1974, it is the most home runs ever hit by a single Major League Baseball player. But two players have reached that number. Hank Aaron is tied with the legendary Babe Ruth. They've each hit 714 home runs. And tonight, Aaron will hit number 715. The atmosphere should be celebratory, and it is. But in the clubhouse before the game, things are unusually quiet. The Braves have decided not to let the press inside. Aaron has been hounded by reporters for months. And not just by reporters. He's also received close to a million pieces of mail, a third of them negative. Some of the letters have included death threats from white fans who don't want to see a black man take Babe Ruth's record. People have written that they're going to sneak into the stands with a gun and take matters into their own hands. So while Aaron knows that this might be the most important baseball game of his life, there's also a real possibility that it could be his last. Today, the meteoric rise of Henry Aaron. What was it like to be a Black baseball superstar 25 years after Jackie Robinson broke the sports color barrier? And what is the real story of threats, fear, and danger behind Aaron's record-breaking game? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When Bob Kendrick was a kid growing up in Georgia in the 1970s, he loved Henry Aaron. And he made sure all his friends knew it. Anytime that we're on the playground, I was going to be Henry Aaron. 
And I know that some of the other kids wanted to be Henry Aaron, and I'm sure they were saying, dang, why Bob always got to be Henry Aaron? Well, it's just the way it is. Today, Bob Kendrick is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. And years ago, he actually got to meet his childhood hero to take him through the museum on a personal tour. Sally, let me tell you, I was a nervous wreck. He is the only, only person that I've ever been starstruck around. Now, keep in mind, we've had American presidents here at this museum with no disrespect to any of them. They are not Henry Aaron in the eyes, mind, and heart of this kid from Crawfordville, Georgia. That day, Kendrick and Aaron are walking through the museum. Aaron played in the Negro Leagues at the start of his career, so he's a part of this history. And sure enough, at one point on the tour... We get to a photograph of a young 18-year-old Henry Aaron standing at the train station in Mobile, Alabama, about to go leave to join the Indianapolis Clowns. Now, he had seen this photograph before. But it had been a long time, and there's a, a small duffel bag by his foot as he's standing there at the train station. And he says, Bob, I may have had two changes of clothes in that bag, a dollar fifty cents in my pocket, and a ham sandwich that my mama had made me going to go chase that dream. That dream was to become a professional baseball player. Aaron had wanted this since he was a kid in Mobile, Alabama in the 1930s. He grew up hitting bottle caps with a broomstick. Well, if you can hit a bottle cap with a broomstick, you probably gonna be able to hit a baseball. Even from a young age, Aaron was good. But life was not easy. He was growing up during some of the darkest days of segregation in the American South. The culture of segregation was oppressive. It was crushing to all the folks who lived there. Henry's mother would take the kids and hide them under the bed when the Klan would come marching down the street. That's Howard Bryant. He wrote a definitive biography of Henry Aaron. And while he was working on it, he had a lot of conversations with Aaron himself, including about what it was like to grow up Black in segregated Mobile. He was still angry about it. And he was still pained about it. And you could see how painful it was. And you could see what it did to him and what it did to those average individual, everyday people. The hopelessness of it. You're not taught to have ambition. And by the time he's a teenager, he's got ambition. I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a pilot. I want to go do things. And had to be disavowed of all these notions by his family. You can't think like that. There are no black baseball players in the big leagues. At least not until 1947. When Aaron is 13 years old, Jackie Robinson takes the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers, breaking Major League Baseball's long-standing color line. And for a young Henry Aaron, this changes everything. Now you can think like this because Jackie's here. When Aaron is about 14, he actually meets Jackie Robinson in Mobile, skips school to hear him talk. And after that, he has his life plan set. He later told Bryant, 
there was no plan B. Baseball didn't work. I don't know what I was going to do. But all I knew is that after that day, I was committed to being a baseball player. But even after Robinson breaks the color barrier, Major League Baseball is still very slow to integrate. At this point, there's still a thriving league that's just for Black players, the Negro Leagues. These players are not paid as well as their white counterparts, even though they're just as good. And yet, Major League teams after 1947 are still not lining up to sign the best Black players. They weren't trying to win. They were trying to maintain a certain social order. And if you're trying to maintain a certain social order, it doesn't matter how good Hank Aaron is as a baseball player, because he's Black. Aaron actually tries out for the Dodgers in 1949. He's 15 years old. And at this point, there are still fewer than 10 Black players in the major leagues. At the tryout, Aaron doesn't even get a chance to swing the bat. Nobody really even looked at him, and there he was. There's Henry Aaron, the great Hank Aaron sitting there. You could have had Jackie Robinson and Hank Aaron on the same team. But Henry Aaron is eventually discovered in 1951 by Ed Scott, who's a scout for a team in the Negro Leagues. He saw the talent. He saw the hand-eye coordination. And he would show up every day, and Hank Aaron's mother would be like, Mr. Scott, why are you over here today? I'm like, I'm trying to tell you that you've got something special in, in your house. At 18, Aaron signs with the Indianapolis Clowns. He'll be competing against other teams in the Negro Leagues. He goes to the train station in Mobile and takes the photo that now hangs on the wall of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Now, at this point, 1952, the Negro Leagues are changing. Integration in the major leagues is still slow. The Boston Red Sox will be the last team to integrate in 1959. But more and more Black stars are leaving to play in the major leagues. Bob Kendrick told us, for Black players, this was not all good news. When you're playing with the Negro Leagues, you got other people who look just like you right there with you. When they go to the major leagues, it's just them. Honestly, the teams and the players weren't exactly very welcoming. But still, Black players would encourage each other to go for it. This was necessary. It was necessary for others to get the opportunity. Even though it's eventually going to lead to the death of the Negro Leagues as the best talent gets siphoned off into the majors. Henry Aaron is actually the last Black Baseball Hall of Famer who plays in the Negro Leagues before joining a big league ball club. And he's only there for a very short amount of time. My friend Buck O'Neill, who was managing the Kansas City Monarchs in 1952, he goes out to exchange lineup cards with the Clowns manager, Buster Hayward. And so he looks at the Clowns lineup card and he sees this kid, Aaron, batting in the three spot. And he said, Buster, who is this kid, Aaron? And Buck says, well, Buster, I ain't going to have to worry about that kid, Aaron, by the time he gets to Kansas City. He said, Buck, what you talking about? He says somebody's going to sign him. And sure enough, someone does. Within a month, Aaron joins the Boston Braves. He starts by playing with their minor league affiliate in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And it is a big life change. He'd never had a conversation with a white person before. 
outside of yes sir, no sir, but an actual sit down conversation with someone white had never had it. He was 19 years old. Now he's living in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He's one of the only black people for miles. The next year, he's moved to another minor league team associated with the Braves in Jacksonville, Florida. There's one other person of color on the team, Felix Mantia. Howard Bryant said Aaron told him a story about that time. They're at a game one day and they're sitting in the dugout and the fans are chanting alligator bait. Mantia looks over and says, alligator bait, what is that? And one of the white players looks at Mantia and Aaron and says, you. The next season, Aaron gets called up to the big league team, now in Milwaukee. And he quickly establishes himself as an elite hitter. Boom, boom. Aaron drives a one-bagger to right. Hank Aaron follows with a scorching liner through the shortstop for a base hit and more heads in hot water with runners on first and second. He was a model of consistency. He had a skill set that was second to none. And so he was slowly but surely emerging as a star. Nevertheless, when he got to Milwaukee, he was beloved as a player, but still lived in segregated housing, lived in segregated neighborhood, tried to buy a house outside of the Black community in Milwaukee. And people put together petitions to keep the great Henry Aaron out of their neighborhoods. He experienced racism on the team, too. Once, two of his teammates were in a bathroom talking, and they were casually throwing around the N-word. They don't realize Henry's in the bathroom. So then they hear the toilet flush. It's like something out of a movie. Henry opens the stall, and they look at him, and he looks at them, and then they just keep on talking. (laughs) Then he leaves. And the reason why he told me that story was... Because today, we would all think that they would stop and apologize. Oh, Henry, you know, they didn't apologize. They didn't care. And that was Henry's whole point. It was like, it's not as though, he goes, they looked at me, and I looked at them, and they just kept on talking. And these are your teammates. Aaron played 12 seasons in Milwaukee. Won an MVP, a World Series, and was an 11-time All-Star. By the way, it's during his time in Milwaukee that people start calling him Hank. Bob Kendrick told us this was something that white sports writers sometimes did to players of color. They'd start calling them by a nickname, whether the players liked it or not. They tried to make Roberto Clemente Bobby Clemente. He didn't want to be Bobby Clemente. And I don't blame him. His name was Roberto. But Hank stuck. Though Aaron himself always went by Henry. That's what both Kendrick and Bryant called him all his life. In 1965, after all that success in Milwaukee, the Braves are poised to move to Atlanta. They'll be the first major league team in the South. Atlanta, her impressive skyline supplemented by this magnificent circular stadium, is in a delirium of enthusiasm today to celebrate her attainment to big league city status. Henry Aaron isn't sure he wants to go back to the Deep South, but he ultimately does partly because some key civil rights leaders tell him, you should come down here, be a part of this fight. Soon after he moves to Atlanta, Aaron has a meeting with some of these leaders, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Aaron tells them that he feels like he's not doing enough for the cause. 
and they're talking to Henry and they're telling him, just keep playing. This is your part. And you're doing your part just as much as the rest of us are doing ours. And that was an enormous moment for Henry, for him to feel like he was part of that movement and for him to have the imprimatur of them while he was simply playing baseball was a big, big deal for him. It, it changed his life. Over Aaron's years in Atlanta, the civil rights movement sees success and also great tragedy. Dr. King is assassinated in 1968, so is Robert Kennedy. And through it all, Henry Aaron is playing baseball. He's becoming an icon. And in the 1970s, he begins to close in on this very important record. The most home runs hit in the major leagues, which was then held by a white American legend, Babe Ruth. Once, when he was asked about the record, Aaron famously said, I don't want them to forget about Babe Ruth. I just want them to remember me. And, you know, that is a famous quote, but I actually like what he said to his mother more privately, which was, why don't they want me to have this? Aaron has experienced virulent racism before, but as he approaches this record, it's about to get even worse. Babe Ruth's record was 714 home runs. And as Aaron is racking up home runs himself, getting into the high 600s, people start writing him these letters. Almost one million letters. Aaron actually holds the Guinness World Record for most mail received in a year by a non-politician. I, I can't even fathom what this was like. I mean, I'm trying to picture in my mind what a million pieces of mail must look like. You know, we're talking about stacks upon stacks upon stacks. And many of these letters were filled with hate. That somebody took the time to, whatever they did, write or scribble or type or what have you, to send to try and stoke fear. Because this Black man was about to eclipse a record of a beloved white man that nobody thought would ever be broken. Some of these even contained death threats. There were no hollow death threats for a Black man, and particularly a Black man in the Deep South. You think about the fact that he had already witnessed Dr. King being assassinated. He had seen two Kennedys assassinated. He'd seen Malcolm X 
assassinated. So these threats are not hollow. By 1973, while Aaron continues to play on major league fields across the country, he has to use an alias whenever he checks into a hotel. He has an armed guard who follows him everywhere. His daughter is at Fisk University in in Tennessee, and now she's got an FBI detail because of death threats and kidnapping plots against her. All of this because he can hit a ball with a stick? At the end of the 1973 season, during a game against the Houston Astros, Aaron hits a home run. Number 713. He ends that season one home run shy of tying the record. And Henry was convinced during that offseason that he was going to be murdered. He was convinced that he wasn't even going to make opening day. That somebody was going to make good on all those threats he was getting and make sure that he never even got to bat. By 1974, Henry Aaron's quest for the home run record has made him miserable. It's also become dangerous. He just wants it to be over. And in the very first game of that season, in Cincinnati, he hits a home run. Henry Aaron and Babe Ruth are now tied at 714. Aaron doesn't hit a home run in game two in Cincinnati, and he sits out game three. And then the Braves head back to Atlanta for their first home game of the season. The anticipation is everywhere and everybody is on edge. Everyone knows that the game on April 8th will be the one. More than 50,000 people show up at Atlanta Stadium. It's an exciting day, but also... Mr. Aaron's bodyguard was armed. I was told that there were actually armed snipers in the ballpark because of the death threats. In the locker room before the game, Aaron tells one of his teammates... I'm going to get this over with tonight. Bob Kendrick is, at this time, about 80 miles east of Atlanta. He's almost 12 years old. I'll never forget that day. My little town, all the 500 people, was a very segregated town itself. And so the, all, the old white men sat on one corner on one side of the block. The old black men sat on the other corner on the other side of the block. And they are all looking at this home run record in a different way. So the old white men weren't too very happy about this possibility that Aaron would break this record. The old black men are just ecstatic. You know, they are hoping and praying that this would happen. Aaron steps up for his first at-bat. And he walks. The crowd boos the pitcher. But the second time Aaron steps up to the plate, and as he's circling the bases in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, this almost 12-year-old kid is in Crawfordville, Georgia, in my parents' home, and I'm circling the bases with him in my mother's living room. The old couch was first base. She had an old TV that was second base. She had another old couch that was third base, and her recliner was home plate. So as my childhood idol is touching them all, I am touching them all in my parents' living room, jumping for joy. And it it was the greatest sports moment 
in my lifetime. On the field in Atlanta, though, there is a scary moment. As Aaron is rounding the bases, two white men run onto the field and charge towards him. Aaron's bodyguard, Calvin Wardlaw, expects the worst. He's about to pull the gun out and shoot both of them. And then he, you know, the minute they realized that the two kids were congratulatory, that they were friendly, Calvin takes his hand off of his gun and the family would always say that was the best decision of the night. It was two fans who wanted to celebrate. Aaron makes it all the way around the bases and touches home plate. Hall of Fame broadcaster Vin Scully recognizes the impact of what has just happened. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. You see the clip of it, and you see Henry's mom come out and give him the, the gigantic bear hug. And everyone talks about it being this phenomenal family moment. But what was also happening there was she whispers in her son's ear, if somebody's going to take a shot at you, they're going to have to go through me too. She was there to not only show that she loved him, that she was willing to put her life in the way to protect him. While Aaron hugs his mother, the crowd is roaring. And after a few minutes, he gets handed a microphone to address the fans. Henry summed it all up by saying, I thank God it's all over with. It was like relief. You know what I mean? It was relief. It was like, okay, maybe they'll leave me alone now. Aaron played for another three seasons before he retired. He died in January of 2021 at the age of 86, a sports legend and a civil rights icon. He retired from the sport with 755 home runs. He no longer holds the home run record, but he has other records that might never be broken. I don't think his total base record will ever be broken. I don't think his RBI record will ever be broken. Baseball is a game of numbers. No one's numbers are better than Henry Aaron. Still, the adversity he faced was never far from his mind. He kept a lot of those letters. Those letters were in a shoebox under his bed as a check, as a reminder about what his life was, that there was no escaping it, there was no burying it. This is what was done to me. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. This episode was produced by Ben Dickstein. History This Week is also produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, Julia Press, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is David Gorin, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.